0: Awesome. Hey, find your Bible if you don't have one. There's one in the book rack tray in front of you. Let's go to Matthew 18 today, Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14, please. Matthew 18. We've been in this book about a year and a half. We study the Bible verse by verse. We do topical studies too, but we've been in this book and it's been amazing. We've let the text set the agenda. And I think it's providential today that we land on a text that really is a beautiful Father's Day text. There are two... uh, styles of teaching within the Gospel of Matthew. There's the words of Jesus. We call that the discourses of Jesus. And then there's the works of Jesus. We call that narrative. So we've been teaching narrative discourse, narrative discourse. And today we come to a section, actually we started it last week, another discourse section. It's the fourth teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's just one chapter. And in this one chapter of Matthew 18, we're going to learn about caring in the body of Christ, or really community in the body of Christ. It's amazing. You know, we gather here today on this hill, there's a couple thousand believers that show up here every Sunday, and we are a a new community. We are a community that is different from any other community in the world. Uh, Name the community group that you might be a part of, The Church of Jesus Christ is to be a completely, totally, absolutely, sometimes diametrically opposed but different and unique community. And I'm glad to be a part of it. And Matthew 18 is going to show us four things that really make community work right. We learned last week, if you were here, that humility is a big part of community. Remember, Jesus brought a, a little child over to Him. He said, you guys want to be great in the kingdom of God? You need to be like this. You need to be like this little child. And children uh, demonstrate evidence, this, this humility about them Uh, They don't really have any big agenda, they just kind of simply go through life, and kids do a lot of goofy things too, but Jesus said, be like this. This is a humble, uh, a picture of humility. Today we're going to look at the picture of caring. The community of Jesus Christ needs to be a caring community. We need to care for each other. We're going to learn what that looks like today. Next week we're going to look at how do we handle offenses. Anybody ever do anything wrong to you? Anybody tick you off in your life? Well, that happens in families, right? It happens in the family of God, too. And the Bible gives us how to deal with that. That's next week's message. If somebody you're at odds with, you know, invite them next week. It'll be great. It'll be fun. And then the last week in this little mini-series of Matthew 18, we're looking at caring in the body of Christ or community, what community looks like. We're going to learn about forgiving each other and how important forgiveness is. So these are really, really timely and important topics, and I hope that you'll track along with us through each one of these. So let's look at caring from Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. Let's read the text, see what it has to say. Jesus says, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go back and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones... Should be lost. Well, this is a great text. Let me show you four things that will serve as what I call headlines of caring fundamentals. Okay? Caring fundamentals. Four headlines. And you'll see these in the text, and they're right there on your outline. There's an important caution, okay? There's a mysterious insight. There's a compelling illustration. And there's a powerful affirmation. Those are four headlines that we want to look at what it means to be caring in community today. Let's take these apart one by one. Verse 10, let's look at the important caution. Now, you probably saw it right there in verse 10. Look at it again with me. See those first few words. See that you do not. Jesus is giving a warning. He's giving a caution. Some of your Bibles say, take heed that you do not or be careful that you don't. The caution is as plain as day. And what specifically is the caution? What does he say? to not look down on these little ones. These little ones, perhaps meaning the very little ones that he brought alongside of him just earlier in the text and said, be like this, these little ones, these children. But it's a little messy because the Greek word that Jesus used in verse 2 when he said he called a little child to him, the Greek word that Matthew uses there uh, is different from the word he uses in verse 6 where he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones... Now, see, the Greek word for child, it could be technon, which is just a basic offspring. It could be paideia, which is what we find here in Matthew 18, verses 2 and 5. But then when we come to verse 6 and down to verse 10, the idea of the little ones is the word uh, mikron, and that's a different word. It means, it can mean child, it can mean a physical child, but it can also extend to something that is like a child. Anybody here know anyone that is like grown up into adulthood, but they still act like a child? Anybody know that? Okay, now that can be a good thing, right? Because children laugh a lot and children are fun to be around, that kind of thing. But children children have a certain naivety about them. They're vulnerable to things. They're maybe a little impetuous. They don't always calculate the cost. They don't really think through things. They're very loving. They're very trusting. But because of that, th- these are the characteristics that make parents freak out about uh, strangers uh, offering kids something, you know, Speaking, you know, we grow up. They don't talk to strangers, you know, because we're afraid that someone is going to Im- impinge upon their vulnerability. Right? They're going to take advantage of that trusting nature of a child. And so, when Jesus says, "Be careful that you don't look down on these little ones," he's he's perhaps not just talking about children per se, but he's talking about the people in our lives and even adult people that grow up with these same kind of proclivities. A, a little bit of. Uh, of vulnerability, a little bit of naivety, not really thinking things through, maybe a little marginalized in their lives or in the culture or in society. And Jesus says, here's, here's what the new community is to be about. We are to be caring to such a degree, watch this, if you're taking notes, that we don't look down on others thinking that we are somehow superior. That's a mark of the new community, that we are not judges of others, we are not we are not people that look down, and we, we are so good, when I talk about looking down, we are so good at sizing up people. We're so good at that, and we see this in the sports arena, don't we? We see this in the sports arena, you know, guys trash-talking each other, and like today, if you're a Warriors fan, <laughs> I guarantee you're looking down on the Cavaliers fan today. <laughs> you're looking down. And, 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 of course, we know the warriors are better. We, we know this. I'm sorry, I can't resist today. I'm so excited. I can't believe this. Our team is going to take the championship anyway. Anyway, but we have to be careful, Jesus said, to not look down. We, we have this, and in fact, the word look down there is a word that means to think down. It's kind of an attitudinal thing. And you see this in all strata of life. Uh, It could be a socioeconomic looking down, you know, like I make more money than you and so you're not as good as me. Like, okay, if you've got a complaint, I'm just going to, I'm going to weigh it because you're not in the same social class I'm in or you're not in the same economic class I'm in. Those things exist in our culture. Happens in job status too. It's like I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm management and you're blue collar, someone might think in their, as they're going through their factory or they're going through their business, we do this in all kinds of places. We do this uh, with our abilities that we possess. is somehow setting us apart from other people. Well, we do this. We see this in the political realm too, don't we? There's a lot of. Uh, I mean, t- today's political race. I mean, it feels like the Geraldo show. I mean, seriously, there's just so many putting down. Like I'm, I'm going to get my point across by just totally slamming my opponent. And we see this all the way across. Well, here's, here's what Jesus talked about in the body of Christ. This is what's so unique about us. Like you might be sitting next to somebody today who has a different political persuasion than you. And we are called in the body of Christ, if, caring, if we're going to be a caring community, that we don't look down on somebody that has a different political opinion than ours. And that's a challenge in every realm of our life. This also fits with things outside of our faith in terms of people. How do we interact with people who are not believers? How do we interact with people who have not come to meet the Savior like we know Him personally in our lives? They may have a different lifestyle. They may have a different morality. You know, how do Christians treat gay people in our culture? You know, we're considered by the gay culture as to be haters, and all we can do is, you know, we're just shouting out hate at them all the time. That's what they think we're doing right here today. The body of Christ is called to be loving of anybody, no matter who they are, and letting God be the, do the work in a person's life to bring transformation and change. And that's what the gospel is about. Listen, none of us, none of us come into this family of God by virtue of our own works. We were placed here made Made born again by the Spirit of the living God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of the gospel. None of us deserve to be at the table. God invites us to come to the table and we come freely by His grace. And so we're to be people that love and treat everybody in society without looking down on them. This is important. It happens to the outside, but it also happens inside the church too. In fact, at Corinth, you remember if you study the book of 1 uh, Corinthians, you know that Corinth, the church Corinth, had a problem with kind of one-upmanship and people thinking that they were better because they had the gift of prophecy and other people had this gift. And there was a lot of fighting in the church. If you have your Bible, you can quickly turn there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And by the way, it's great to see you know, if you've got a laptop or you've got a smartphone or you've got a Kindle or you've got a tablet or something, I sat in the balcony last week and I was amazed how many screens I saw down below. And I don't know if they were tracking along with the pastor or not. I saw what looked like a little Facebook action, a little, you know. But, you know, that's because this is the society we're in. We've got a lot of technology going and it's cool. It's great. But find your way wherever you are, however you get there to 1 Corinthians 12. And let's look at what Paul says here. Look at uh, verse 18. He says, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Isn't that cool? Just as he wanted them to be. And then look at verse 21. It continues. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable, verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Then he brings this to a climax, verse 24, end of 24, look at it. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Verse 26, if, any, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I just think back in this last week and sort of the up and down and how there were people that I rejoiced with and people that I suffered with. I'm thinking of one family, the Beeler family. Maybe you know them. Uh, Rick and Marsha recently moved Marsha's parents into their home, their aging parents, and they wanted to help them out, and they redid their house and set them in their home. Beautiful. And they've been coming to church. And Sam, the father, uh, you know, the, Rick Beeler's father-in-law, he's 96 years old. Last week, he had a stroke. I didn't know this, Monday here, they go to the hospital, so it's kind of touch and go a little bit. Then he's resuscitated and he's, you know, he's hanging in there. Um, long story short, by the end of the week, Sam, 96 years of age, he and his wife, blessed wife Martha, who are about to celebrate their 75th wedding anniversary, Sam passes away yesterday. Okay, so there's, there's a family that's been on this all week and then yesterday, tough thing, tough day, tough day. You think, wow, 96, lived a long life? Absolutely. Absent from the body, home with the Lord. He knows Jesus. Praise God. But it's sad, right? You love your loved ones. You don't like to see them go. And then you'd see a picture of, you know, little Maddox Foxworthy. Wow, there's a lot of rejoicing there. Some of you had graduations this week that you were a part of. You celebrated. Yeah. Fun to celebrate. Fun to be on the high. Not so fun to be on the low sometimes. But this is life. This is life. Some, some of you had an amazing work week this last week. It couldn't have gone better. It was fantastic. Some of you had terrible experiences at work, and you're pulling your hair out, and you want to quit. You're looking for another job, and th- this is the way life works. It's up and down. This is the way it is in the body of Christ. We have our ups and downs, and Paul writes to 1 Corinthians, and he says, look, be sensitive. If you're going to care for each other, some people are up, some people are not up, and we need, by the way, we need to be honest with each other. We come to church, we wear the face, everything's great. Then we go home and we're like, ah, life is terrible. (laughs) Why can't we be honest with each other and say, I'm having a hard week, would you pray for me? That'd be refreshing. If we're just a little more honest with each other, and that's, we'll get to that a little later in the service about why that's so important, but that's what the, we are a part of the body of Christ, and we should be celebrating the fact that we care for each other. Let's look at a couple other passages, Romans 12, 3. We'll put it on the screen. Just quickly so we can look at it. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, Paul writes, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Isn't that good? Because we all have a tendency to think more highly than we ought to think about ourselves. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Don't think so much of yourself. Don't don't look at yourself and say, you know, like I'm all that. Uh, Bring it down a little bit. And there's also just as important a warning that you shouldn't think lower of yourself than you th- should think. And some of us have that problem too. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians 4 two. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is a beautiful summary verse of what we're talking about here in Matthew 18. We should be caring, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. And Paul couldn't have said it stronger, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 where he says, Do nothing out of selfishness or selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. When people are around us, do they go away thinking, wow, somehow I just feel like like this guy thinks I'm better than him. And that's what we're called to do in the body of Christ. We should be such encouragers and and lifting people up and coming alongside of people that people actually think, wow, they stop for me, they think of me. I, you know, I joined Twitter this week. I'm now on the Twitter <laughs> space. And it just, it just popped into my head. By the way, if you want to follow me, L A Vold 3 okay, I would love more followers. But here's the deal. I'm, I'm looking at who to follow, and I'm just, I'm, I hardly understand this, but it's just kind of fun to comi- coni- communicate. I can't even talk. And, and one of the gals that is in our church, and she works out in the cafe, and I saw her, oh, it's Aaron Sims, so I click on follow. And then later I see a tweet from her. She says, Larry Vold's following me. My life is now complete. I thought that was so cute. I just like, it. it's like, wow, no, you complete me. I mean, that was so neat. We should be like learning how to say things and do things with people. that people feel like somehow, wow, really? That's the way you feel? That's, that's the beauty of what the body of Christ is about. With humility, treating others better than ourselves. I want to work on that more. And I hope you do too. And that's what we should be working on all the time when we're together. Back to Matthew 18. So Jesus has cautioned us. He says, be careful. Don't look down. Remember, in this culture, Roman culture, first century, the Roman culture looked at children as an afterthought. No rights. Just in the way. Get them out of the way. No, nothing. There was a pervasive feeling of no intrinsic worth among children of the Roman day. And like Jesus always does, Jesus is the great liberator of all the oppressed. I mean, you read the Bible, and there's no, there's no one like Jesus who can liberate slaves in first century A.D. like Jesus, or liberate women in a culture where women were degraded, and here liberating children that were thought of as nothing. This is what our Lord does. This is why I love so much about Jesus. I love everything about Jesus. So there's an important caution. Now we move quickly, and this is going to be quick, but it's kind of fun, to a mysterious insight. When it comes to care, there's this mysterious insight uh, that I see here in Matthew 18, if you're there. Look at the end of verse 10. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven, always see their face of my Father in heaven, There's a couple other places if you want to write down Psalm 91, 11, Acts 12, 15. But there's no greater place in all of the New Testament, I think, that defines more of what Jesus meant here when He said that their angels in heaven are constantly looking at the face of their Father. Um, What He's talking about here, if you're taking notes, is that angels are God's messengers on behalf of His people. Now, how do you feel? You wonder why God created angels Hebrews 1.14, let me put that on the screen for you. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Wow, really? You know what Jesus is doing? He's popping the hood on something behind the scenes that these disciples didn't understand. He says, wait a minute. When you start looking down on somebody, here's what you need to remember. You need to remember that your Father in heaven cares more about these little ones than you do, so you need to get on the same page with your heavenly Father. Because, by the way, the Father in heaven actually has angelic staff meetings where He dispatches angels to serve and minister to the needs of His people. That's amazing. I mean, I don't know. It's mysterious. That's why I'm calling it. It's a mysterious insight. Jesus doesn't say anything more about it. He just, he just says it. But I think, what a great text for Father's Day. These attending spirits are continually gazing into the face of the Father. It's almost like they're saying, what do you want me to do now for your people? Some some were led to believe out of this text and other places in the New Testament that that everyone has a guardian angel. Ever heard that before? Okay, well, that comes from this text, but this text doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach that every person has like, you know, my guardian angel is Joe. You know, doesn't, the, text does not, the text does not say that. But it does tell me that God dispatches angels to minister to me. You know, and sometimes, I don't know, some weird thing happens and we think, oh, wow, that was a close call, you know. I don't know, maybe God dispatched an angel. <laughs> Changed the whole dynamic of what took place there. I don't know. Sometimes the dispatch maybe isn't going to happen. Because God's got a bigger plan. God's doing something we don't understand. I don't know. There's a mystery at all. It's a mysterious insight. But when it comes to care, here's the point. The point is, we have a Father in heaven that cares more about the people around us that we're likely and tempted to put down, forgetting that God actually has angels attending spirits that He uses to dispatch to care for His own children, I think that's beautiful. By the way, there's a little note here. Everybody look carefully. If you have your NIV, look at verse 11 carefully. Would you do that? Find it there in your text. Do you see it? It's not there, is it? (laughs) It's a trick question. Now I'm saying this to save me some emails this week, okay? And I probably just started some emails because you didn't even notice when you're reading through that the NIV does not have verse 11. Is this, a, is this a mistake in the editor's job? No, what's, here's what's going on. Uh, the King James Bible, if you have an ASV or a, a KJV Bible, it includes, verse 11 says, for the Son of Man came to save what was lost. That's a beautiful saying to put there, and that comes, we find that in Luke 19.10. It's a beautiful statement, it's a true statement, but the earliest manuscripts that we have of Matthew does not include that statement, so the NIV translators decide to leave it out. So they just leave verse 11 out. Does that make sense? So still the Word of God, we find it in Luke 19.10, it's probably just not placed in the correct place. It's, it was added perhaps later by a copyist, and so the earliest manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts from which we translate the New Testament Bible does not have it. So that's why the NIV takes it out. Okay? That's it. Everybody good with that? All right, all right. This important caution, mysterious insight. Now let's look at the compelling illustration, okay? This is where it really cranks up now. He tells this illustration of about a guy that has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away and he leaves the 99 in the hills to go look for the one that wandered off. Now I know if you read that, you probably are thinking, oh, I've read that before in one of the other gospels. And you, you're right. It's in Luke 15 where everything is about the lost. There's the lost son, there's the lost coin, and there's the lost sheep. Now, why would Jesus use that illustration or that story? It's, it's a made-up story, we believe. It's a parable. Well, why would He use it? it? It looks like to me, here we go, it looks like we're, He's using it in two different ways. If you study the Luke passage, He's talking about people who have wandered off and have never found a relationship with God. They they're are they're lost. And, you know, we use that metaphor, you know, you're either saved or you're lost, right? That's a metaphor of people who have not yet found the gospel, not yet awakened to the gospel. That's Luke 15 because Jesus said, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. That's the application of the Luke 15 passage. One sinner that repents over the 99 righteous that need no repentance. Here here Jesus seems to use the illustration to, to illustrate something else. He tells the story to illustrate how believers, are you listening? Say amen if you're listening right now. How believers can get lost too. You see, when you talk about caring in the community of faith, you realize that true believers sometimes get lost in the weeds. There are wanderers among us. And what I mean by that is we don't even know they're wandering. Their body is here, but their heart's a million miles away. That happens in every worship service. Heart, the body's here, the heart isn't. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, and you may want to just jot it down in your notes, God condemns the shepherds of Israel because they did not, among other things, they did not go after the strays or search for the lost. And God indicted the shepherds of Israel, the people that should have known better, that this is, you call yourself a shepherd of Israel, but you don't bind up the injured. And among other things, and I love how it climaxes there in verse 3 or 4 of chapter 34 of Ezekiel, he says, and you did not go after the strays or search for the lost. And then he says in verse 11, God says through Ezekiel, he says, so I'm going to send my own shepherd to be my shepherd over my people. And when Jesus in John 10 stands up and says, I am the good shepherd, He's fulfilling the prophetic announcement of Ezekiel 34. And you remember what happened in John 10. Did the people say, oh, yes, finally our shepherd? No. They picked up stones to stone Jesus because how do you being a man make yourself out to be God? They got the message loud and clear. Jesus was God's shepherd to His people. And they missed it. Just like some of us miss it too. And so if, if God calls shepherds to care for his people, and here Jesus uses this illustration, I believe, to show how we should care for each other, just like the guy that leaves the 99 and goes searching. So that's what we need to be about too. You see, I meet people like this all the time. I meet them in the prayer room. I meet them in the lobby. I meet them sometimes on email, and I'll probably meet them on Twitter. People that say things like this, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in the faith. I went to church every week. I I remember giving my life to Jesus at a summer camp. I was so on fire for God. God was working in my life. I saw friends come to Christ. It was a beautiful thing. And then I went, and here's the little ellipsis, and then, and then, then I went off to college, and then I got involved with this person, and then I started taking substances, and then, and then, and then. Life happened, sin happened, temptation happened, and I've been been lost. I've been just adrift in my life. But then, God, but God came to me. God spoke to me. God revealed Himself to me. God is doing this in my life again. And I meet these people all the time, and it's a beautiful thing, usually with tears in their eyes. They're saying, I'm back. God has been so merciful and so grateful gracious to to bring me back. This is a beautiful picture. If you're taking notes, when God's people wander from their faith, guess what? He goes looking for them. Do you believe that? That's the shepherd. That's what he does. That's what he always does. And if you're wandering today, if you've been a wanderer, guess what? He hasn't forgotten you either. And like C.T. Studd said, the great missionary who said, God is like the great hound dog of heaven, I love that, who traces us down every pathway of our lives. He may be coming down your path today, reminding you right now, right here, stop wandering, you're found, you can come home. You know, I grew up in a family, my sister, I have two sisters, wonderful sisters, I love them both so much. They're older than me, they call me the little baby brother one of my sisters decided at, I don't know, she was probably 16 years of age, to leave the family. It was precipitated by months and months of conflict and challenge and fights. And I, oh man, I can just, I can still remember. I can remember the aging of my parents over that period and season in their lives. And then she was gone. And I remember how it crushed them. And years went by. I mean, there was, there was a lot of water that came out of the bridge. And then, then there was that day, that day when my sister came home. Oh, man. I can remember that day. There was reconciliation. There was forgiveness. There was, and it wasn't perfect. It was still kind of messy, but it was, it was different. She was home. It's a beautiful thing to come home some of us need to come home. Need to come home. I'm talking about the Father's house. I'm talking about where God graciously holds His arms out like the parable of the lost son and does not worry so much of necessarily chasing the son but looks for the son and waits for the son to come to His senses to come home. And then He wraps His arms around Him and He kills the fattened calf and he throws a party and he says, my son that was lost has come home. It always blesses the father to see the lost come home. And that might be you. Or that might be someone you know. It could be your son or your daughter. It could be a grandchild. It could be a brother or a sister. It could be a father or a mother. In a crowd this size, there's somebody, somebody that needs to come home. And in a crowd this size, there's probably thousands of names that right now flood our minds of people that we wish would come home. So you know what we're going to do? We're going we're to pray for some names this morning before we finish. Not right yet, but we will. We're going to pray that God will bring some wanderers home. Notice the important caution a mysterious insight, a compelling illustration. Finally, lastly... There's this powerful affirmation, verse 14, and herein is the difference between the parable found in Luke and the parable found here in Matthew 18 where I'm suggesting that in Luke's parable we see an illustration of saving grace. In this illustration, we find uh, a beautiful illustration of sovereign grace or a picture of God's sovereign, amazing ability, providential ability to bring people home. If you're taking notes, what I believe this is, is telling us at the end of verse 14 where Jesus says, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. That tells me that every wanderer is eventually found. Isn't that good? Now, listen carefully because you could miss this. This is not saying for someone who has false assurance, they're a religious background They know things about God. It's not promising that all of those folks get found. It's promising that every person who has come to Jesus Christ by faith and has experienced new life in Jesus Christ, every person, no matter how far they get away, will be found. Will be found. This is called the great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. How many of us, just by a show of hands, this will be fun, how many of us, can admit that we had seasons and a season could be a day, a week, a month, a year or a season. It could be but let's let's take off the days and weeks and let's say months or years where we got away from the Lord. We were Christian we we're Christians, we we're followers of Jesus Christ, but we got away whatever took us away, we let ourselves go away. But the Lord graciously brought us back. I just want to just raise our hands. Look around. Aren't you glad? Yes. Thank you, Lord. That's his promise. You know somebody right now that's wandering? Take courage. If they know Christ, God's going to bring them back. You may never see it come back. You may never see them come back. But in God doesn't lose anybody, right? And by the way, in, let's, let's clear this up theologically. This does not mean that you know, if a person as a Christian goes through life and he's wandering, and he's not really surrendered to Christ, but he's a follower of Jesus, he belongs to Jesus, and then boom, he gets hit by a train. Oh, he didn't have a chance to repent. He must be lost. No, God doesn't lose any of his own. No one gets lost that belongs to Christ. Now, the problem is we suffer a lot of loss in our lives, don't we? consequence, problems, things in our lives that wouldn't have to be the way they are. But you know, God is gracious and merciful, but He's also just. And there are things that happen when we put our hand up to Christ and we live our own way. And our own. There's only an eventual amount of time before we start reaping what we sow, right? Galatians 6 tells us that. We're going to reap what we sow. So be careful. It's always better to repent. Always better to come home. But If you have false assurance today that because you have a religious background in your life or because you know some things about God or that you're a pretty good person, that this promise applies to you, it doesn't. You need to be saved. You need to come under the sound of the gospel. You need to plead the blood of Christ over your life because you're a sinner, a violator of God's commands. And by His graciousness, He's invited you to come and give Him your life and He will receive you gladly and welcome you into His family. And you'll be a part of His family forever. And that's why we need to care for each other. Because there's some wanderers out there. And there's some wanderers in here. (laughs) The wanderers out there aren't here because they're wandering, right? (laughs) So, okay.